Hello, and welcome back to the Past and Present Podcast. This is Kim Groves, hoping you have been having a fantastic week. Today, we conclude our six-week look at Solomon's Temple by examining the question of the presence of a seven-branched lampstand in the temple. Many of us would know this lampstand better by its more well-known name, a menorah. Today's talk takes us all the way back to the September-October 1979 issue of Biblical Archaeology Review. In an article titled, Was There a Seven-Branched Lampstead in Solomon's Temple? Carol Myers examines this interesting question. Now, Dr. Myers asks the question point-blank and says, most people answer with an automatic yes when confronted with the question of if Solomon's temple contained a seven-branched lampstand. However, the biblical text is less than certain on the subject. As we have discussed in depth, the Bible describes the exterior of the temple in detail and the interior in somewhat less detail. Now, if you've been following along on our temple journey these last several weeks, you will know we have also explored the exterior and interior of the temple in some detail. However, the only textual example of a lampstand in the temple is a brief reference to their, quote, flowers and lamps. One, of, one reason the temple was thought to have a seven-branched menorah <clears throat> is because the second temple, the one destroyed by the Romans, more than likely did have such a lampstand. We know this because of the Arch of Titus Bach relief, which showed captured artifacts, including a menorah. After the destruction of the second, second temple, depictions of the building and its sacred artifacts came commonplace. With the temple gone, the depictions of the building and the sacred accoutrement symbolically preserved God's involvement with the children of Israel. <clears throat> Pardon me. Now, depictions of the menorah appeared many places, from clay oil lamps to gold glass, seals, coins, lentils and synagogues, mosaics, and so forth. The menorah became the most popular symbol of Judaism in the post-destruction period, and we're talking about 70 AD. Based on these countless artifacts and representations, many ancient and modern scholars assumed a seven-branched menorah existed in Solomon's temple as well. However, as of the writing of this article in 1979, there had only been a, a few depictions of Second Temple Menorah prior to the destruction in 70 AD. Representations on coins struck by Antigonus and a carving on limestone opposite the Temple Mount were the only examples of menorah prior to the destruction. Now, there is no doubt the Second Temple, rebuilt by Herod, contained a menorah. Sources mentioned nothing regarding the rebuilding of the temple as restored by the Judeans after their return from the Babylonian captivity and the Edict of Cyrus. We can be sure of one thing. The Jews of this post-captivity era did not have anywhere close to the resources Solomon had at his disposal at the height of the Israelite imperial expansion. <clears throat> the Bible does not describe a lampstand in the second temple as restored by the post-captivity Jews. And although the Bible does not detail the ten lampstands in Solomon's temple having branches, 
The Bible does describe a seven-branched lampstand in great detail in Exodus chapter 25, verses 31 through 40, and Exodus chapter 37, verses 17 through 24. So we're going to spend some time exploring the Exodus description of the lampstand and, in general, the tabernacle. Now, this was the movable tabernacle that was packed up and moved as the in the wanderings in the desert. So until World War II, now these passages that I referenced would have been regarded as irrelevant to the discussion of the presence of a menorah in Solomon's temple. The reason was that the description was attributed to either late exile or early post-exile priestly writings. In other words, the Babylonian captivity. Post-war biblical scholarship, however, has established the validity of many of the priestly traditions. While some details may not have been established until post-exile, it does record many authentic features of organized, pre-monarchic religion dating to the Mosaic era. There are also reasons related to the description of the tabernacle menorah, which suggests a Mosaic organ, or origin. Excuse me, I can't talk today. When we are referring to the Mosaic or origin, we are referring to the archaeological time period known as Late Bronze II, which spanned from about 1400 BCE to about 1200 BCE. This period includes the Exodus and the wilderness wanderings. If we dive into the biblical descriptions of the tabernacle menorah, not the branches, but the central stand that supports the branches, and remember, we're talking about the Exodus tabernacle, the movable uh, tabernacle, not Solomon's temple, but we're using these descriptions as a basis to figure out, was there one in Solomon's temple? We see that it says that the base and shaft shall be of hammered work. Now, this implies there are two distinct parts, a base and a central shaft that goes up through the, the base. Textual analysis is key, as always. This analysis shows a mistranslation leading to modern confusion. When we look at the Hebrew words being used, the more correct translation would be Quote, a shaft that flares at the bottom. So this would assume that it's a one-piece unit. Archaeology provides abundant evidence for cultic stands of this shape, but they had fallen out of use by the Iron Age, which is the period of Solomon's temple, and were, were replaced by Aegean-inspired tripod models. What this leads to is the priestly compiler who recorded the final form of the Exodus description of the tabernacle relied on descriptions of the cultic furnishes, furnishings that had, by that time, that is the 6th or 5th century BCE, fallen out of vogue. An additional clue to the existence of a seven-branched lampstand is the description's Egyptian connections. If the description of the menorah described in Exodus was an exilic or post-exilic mind, uh, mind, there wouldn't be such a deep connection with the past. This description of the Exodus tabernacle would have been difficult for an exilic writer to duplicate. In other words, 
basing it off of what that writer knew of that time, it would have been very difficult for him to replicate with any degree of accuracy furnishings, stylings, and that sort of thing that were prevalent in the mosaic or the exile, I mean, I'm sorry, the mosaic or the exodus slash wilderness wanderings period. When we go to the original Hebrew, as always, the original Hebrew is the best source, we find two different types of pure gold. And I put that in quotes, pure gold. In the Exodus description, the term for pure gold in Hebrew is Zahav Tehor. This purity of gold was obtained by washing or panning the gold. Gold obtained this way, that is naturally refined by washing, was primarily, primarily found in Egypt or Nubia. Nubia was a, a civilization that lay directly to the south of Egypt. In 1 Kings, the Hebrew word for pure gold changes. It's Zahav Sagor. It seems to be an exact equivalent of an Akkadian term, Barasu Sakuru. Sak, I'm sorry, Bursaru. Barasu Sakru. Excuse me, my, my Akkadian must be a little off. Sometimes it's described as Sagru. Now, the exact meaning escapes us, but it is likely that it refers to a geographical region. There is a Sagur River that is a tributary of the Euphrates, and we've talked about the Euphrates being in modern-day Iraq. So this Zahab Sagur could mean gold from the Sagur, which would make sense considering it's based off an Akkadian term of the uh, Barasu Sakru. So Akkadia was an empire that existed within modern Iraq in that generalized region. This would indicate a northern origin of the required gold and would be expected given the Tyran influence. First Kings describes that the gold for the tabernacle came from Egypt and the gold from Solomon's temple came from the north, strongly supporting the authenticity of the Exodus description. And Solomon, in staying true to the Exodus description of the tabernacle, would have replicated those things in the temple that he built. So there's a little evidence to say, yes, there was a seven-branch lampstand. Botanical details of the tabernacle menorah also suggest Egyptian origins. And Egyptology was always my favorite topic in history, so I tend to sort of go off on tangents here. Botanical details, again, suggest Egyptian origins. Egyptian art is characteristically plant life represented architecturally. You see representations of papyrus and so forth, lotus, all over Egyptian art. So they tend to render plants architecturally. And the Exodus description of the menorah is no different. At the ends of the tabernacle menorah were capitals and flowers. Again, a slight mistranslation, so more accurately, it would be a floral capital. Other botanical elements of the tabernacle menorah reinforce the Egyptian archetype. The Hebrew word for branch reflects a biblical awareness of the Nile's botanical scene. Archaeology also allows us to firmly park the 
architectural floral element of the menorah in the late Bronze Age, a time when Egypt was the dominant political and economic power in the region. Now, all this talk about there being a seven-branch lampstand in the tabernacle does not prove conclusively there was such a thing in Solomon's temple. Dr. Meyer does not believe there was a seven-branch lampstand in Solomon's temples and lays out the considerations that led to her reasoning. The first thing she calls on is the fact there is no mention of branches on the lamps in Solomon's temple. If branches were a prominent feature, it is difficult to believe the reference would be missing from the text. Both the description of the tabernacle and the description of the Herodotus Second Temple both mentioned the branched lampstand specifically. This omission in the text must be taken as an omission of this feature in Solomon's temple. Second, just because a feature is mentioned in the Exodus tabernacle does not mean it was included in Solomon's sacred space. There, there were necessary changes made in erecting a more permanent structure. So if we went from one multi-branched lamp to ten individual lamps back to one multi-branched lamp, this would not be unusual. It would be much easier to transfer and transport one multi-branched lamp as opposed to individual lamps. Despite substantial refurbishings throughout its history, the Solomonic sanctuary was never seriously damaged or pillaged until the fall of Jerusalem. When looking to reconnect and reconstruct their national shrine, it would be normal for the Jews to search their priestly archives for the blueprint for such a project. Now, they stumbled upon and discovered the Exodus description of the tabernacle and used it as their guide. So based on all this information, we can safely say the Second Temple menorah, both in its inception and its successive Maccabean and Herodotan ideations, bore a closer resemblance to its most ancient antecedent, the menorah of the Mosaic area, than the golden stands of Solomon. Well, that concludes our six-week look at Solomon's Temple. I hope you enjoyed the deep dive into this fascinating bit of biblical history. Again, today's article is entitled, <clears throat> Was There a Seven-Branched Lampstand in Solomon's Temple? by Carol Myers and appeared in the September-October 1979 issue of Biblical Archaeology Review. You can read the article in its entirety at www.baslibrary.org. Join us Monday when we will be exploring lessons we can learn from Samson and Delilah. As always, I enjoy hearing from you. I can be reached at kimg.pastandpresentpodcast at gmail.com, on Twitter at, at podcast underscore past, and our two Facebook pages, Rebirth Network and Rebirth Encouraged, both with a purple heart between the words. Again, this is Kim Groves, hoping you have an amazing weekend and stay blessed and unstressed and unbothered by the rest. God bless.